So welcome to the show. I'm David Speed. I'm Adam Brazier. And this is Creative Rebels. Uh, it's a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. We started our first company, Graffiti Life, in a small garage. Yeah, it wasn't easy. But we built the company up to the stage where now we're regularly working with brands like Disney and Nike. And we've been lucky enough to make art all over the world. On this podcast, we interview successful creators. Their advice will enable you to take action and turn your passion into a career. There's literally been no better time in history to make a career from being creative. So many people are going to tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to tell you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast. Welcome back. Welcome back, Rebels. Hope you're having a good week and you are killing it in your creative pursuits and you are just taking action. I was talking to someone the other day at an event and got down into the conversation of, of like, taking action Mm -hmm. and I had this real kind of epiphany I guess about this show and about what we're trying to do and a brilliant thing happened I just came up with genius right there and I was like what is it I was like this podcast is a course and you might graduate after one lesson or you might graduate after 100 lessons Mm -hmm. but basically what this show is designed to do what the course is designed to do is to unlock in your own head that you can do whatever you want to do. You've just got to find out how to do it. Yeah. So you've just got to get over yourself and that's all it is. And this this podcast is a course and it doesn't matter how long it takes you to graduate, but eventually, because that's, that's why people are listening is to unlock their own potential. Yeah. Yeah, super interesting. I think um, a lot of the reviews and feedback that we've had, people are really interested in like the different types of guests that we've had who are all from different backgrounds. I suppose everyone gets a little bit of something from everyone. So instead of having that same teacher every time, you've got different people yeah. coming in to kind yeah, of... Yeah, because it might be, it's going to be different for each people and one person might listen to guest A and that's what unlocks them because they said something that resonated with them. Yeah. And because I I think the when it really came to me was when I was reading a DM the other other week and someone was like really thanking me loads. Mm-hmm. I was like, I haven't done anything. Well, everything you're telling me in this message is, is something that you have done. Yeah. Like they were like, oh, I've done this, this, this and this. So I just wanted to thank you so much. So what, I, I didn't do anything. You yeah. motivated yourself and like you listened to our content and you chose to turn that into your own action. Yeah, you were the one who put yourself out there to listen to, like to make the effort to go and listen to something to hopefully help you get there. Yeah, so basically it all, it all comes down to you yeah. and doing it. And you all can do it. If you're listening to this, you can do it. And yeah, you're already on the you, right path. Yeah. Like by listening to this, you're on the right path to do whatever makes you happy. Yeah, and a lot of you are already doing it and you're all on different different stages of the journey and it's fucking awesome and we love it and that's why we do this show. All that we want is for you to just leave us reviews and recommend um, the show out to someone who you think could benefit from it because you probably know someone who could do with listening to our amazing guests and just getting inspired. Yeah, I think your challenge for this week could definitely be find one person who could be inspired by this and share it with them. Yes, challenge you have been challenged (laughs) go and help us spread the word and uh, help more people and unlock their bloody brilliant inner genius that everyone has because everyone is creative yeah even the people who say i'm I'm not not very creative i can't draw a stick man oh my pay yeah (laughs) anyway um we were talking today about um about kit about equipment yeah um <laughs> yes yeah, so, so it's a question that people ask me all the time like what camera do you use what lenses do you use what do you use to edit and it's just like people are always after that little quick hack of oh if i use this specific tool it will get me to wherever i need to be and i think a lot of people postpone actually doing something because they convince themselves that they can't do it until they've got x type of equipment that costs however much money because that's what all the professionals are using i think so funny isn't it i think i think we again is we talked about a few episodes ago about that future self mm-hmm. and people look at, at they see their future self and that's really exciting so rather than actually doing the work to get there what they can do is spend ages like researching all of the best equipment and then gradually accumulating all of that stuff to get to the stage it's like buying the best guitar and then the guitar just sits in the corner and and gathers dust yeah absolutely and i think cameras are a really really great example of this because a lot of people will be like okay well my favorite photographer or youtuber or whatever uses this camera that costs four grand 
few, few lenses on there or another few thousand pounds. So by the time you spent ten thousand pounds, you've then got the kit to be this professional. But not everyone has that to start with. And I think like for what I've found in like, cause obviously when you're a kid, you don't have the money to go and buy those things. You maybe got whatever you get for your birthday, you might be able to get a camera from that. So what I'd always suggest is use the tools you have and then find a way to make them better. Like, especially with photos, like if you've got a Photoshop or Lightroom, you can take an image from what is pretty boring and standard to something that looks absolutely amazing. And I think what people don't realise is by having a camera that costs £4,000, the actual raw image that comes out of that camera doesn't look amazing. It's not what you see online. It's not this perfectly polished image. That's gone through so much editing to get there. And you can get to almost a similar level with a cheaper camera, with cheaper gear. I would say it's just a great opportunity to learn how to post-process and skills you'll gather from that will actually make it look like you're using a much more expensive thing. Like with my photos, for example, I'll use sharpening techniques on there that make it look like it's shot with a much more expensive, super sharp, crisp lens. And people will be like, whoa, how do you get such sharp images? Like what gear are you using? And I'm like, it's not the gear, it's the skills I've learned to do in post that gets you there. Yeah, Chase Jarvis always says that the best camera that you have is the camera that's on you. Yeah, Casey Neistat says that all the time as well. It's like, if you don't have a camera on you, then you can't take a photo. If you like, Yeah, and I mean, you just have to Google like shots taken with an iPhone. Yeah, and- well, if you look at um, their huge Apple campaigns, they do shot on iPhone, like all those pictures are amazing. Actually, this morning I saw an article that was uh, a photography competition in Oregon in America. It was actually won by an image shot in an iPhone 6, which like... It's ridiculous. Like that's a however many year old phone now, and the quality of it won't be amazing. But you've got to think like people were taking great photos thirty years ago. Yeah, use the use whatever you can find. It's like when I'm painting, I I use whatever I can to get the the best image, and that mm-hmm. and that to me will be like it will be emulsion, it will be like whatever house paints lying around, yeah. it'll be whatever I can get my hands on. I once met a graffiti artist actually who um had been sent to prison and while he's in prison the only thing that he could find to do for to pass the time was yeah. to, was to draw and they just had like in primary school a ice cream tub full of pens yeah and all of the lids had been left off so there's no ink. they're all dried yeah. up there's no ink left in so the only way that he could find to make images was to um like stab these pens down on the paper yeah like, to like keep dabbing them down so and he got these kind of like spots coming out, and that's how he started to put pictures together. And that developed a whole new style for him. Like when he left prison, it, yeah. like he kept on doing these like really dotty paintings and stuff that, that was inspired by just using these crap dried up yeah. old pens that he found. I remember um, doing art at school and just getting really good with a biro. Like the level of detail you can get with a biro is ridiculous. You can get so much shading. Like if you just go and go on Google and type in amazing biro drawings and i'm sure you'll loads of things will come up and you're like well, how the hell is that done with a 50p biro so yeah i guess it's don't let the the materials hold you hold you back mm-hmm. um and don't use acquiring the materials as an excuse not to start yeah because it's all really exciting getting getting all the gear or the paintbrushes or whatever you need um and then you actually have to go out and um and do the work and i mean certainly as an artist it is uh it's very tough to then go out there and yeah. and get your artwork out into the world um and that i think is something that um our next guest is really passionate about is sort of fighting that fight for artists yeah yeah art's a really hard industry to break into yeah it definitely is and marion tangai is the founder of mtr agency her career started in a crazy way which we go into in the episode she went from working in a gallery to owning her own gallery to then becoming totally disillusioned with the whole industry and that's why she started MTR, which is an agency that invests in artists rather than in art. She gives her ever-growing roster of artists new opportunities to exhibit and sell their work and I think she's doing some amazing stuff. Marion is also passionate about positive mental health and leveraging social media to curate a feed that inspires you rather than making you feel anxious about what you don't have or what you don't look like. This episode, we talk about Kim Kardashian, being a rebel and junk food for your eyes. 
maybe the thing is to talk about visual diets where you know you don't consume five hours of junk food a day but you are currently consuming visual junk food all the time and can we create awareness around that We are joined today by Marine Tange. Yes. Did I say it right? Yes, it's perfect. Thank it's you. actually very impressive. Thank you. Amazing. <laughs> um, so, Marine, you've done a lot in your life. Um, so, I'd like to start off by asking you what did your parents do for a living and how has that shaped you moving forward? That's interesting because I actually never had that question. Um, so, good question. My mum is a primary teacher still. Uh, so, she looks after six to seven years old uh, on a small island called Ile de Hay. So 6,000 people, more birds than people, actually. And my dad's a sport teacher. Uh, so he looks after kids will be 12 or 13 years old. So obviously you now look at me thinking, this has no relation to what you're doing. Um, I think the only relation will be really education because there is an educational side to art. Mm-hmm. And I think inspiring kids, which I think I still have. Uh, but no, I can't say I'm really very similar to what my parents do. I think they have four months holidays and they're very much in that side of things. So this very routine basis jobs and I can't remember the last time I even had a day that was similar to the user one so um, it's very different. Because the reason I ask is because you've just been awarded a Forbes 30 under 30 yeah. award. I just think I didn't have a clue what I was doing until I was about 27 years old so I, I had no chance of winning any sort of award for being under 30 and I think there's a lot of people who don't have their shit figured out until like way later on um so i was just wondering if there was something in so i thought you might say oh my both my parents were artists or something like that and that was so it's quite interesting that they they came from education and that that's what you know i think the truth is because it's important to say the truth at times um is that um i had a very strict dad uh, so i was told no all the time um and I actually think it was someone that didn't really like the word no. And because I was able to go around the word no very early on, I think I ended up just doing all the stuff that I was always told no upon. And therefore, the more the industry felt challenging, the more there was no's to get in. I think the more my brain was like, oh, I want to do that. Because I think that's that's always the things with kids will have very strict parents, right? Is that you respond mm-hmm. to people telling you no all the time. But yeah, I was always told that no, nothing was possible. So I think I wanted to prove that very wrong at the start and then luckily after doing my job of proving people wrong I fell in love with the arts 10 years ago and then I decided to do all of this but I think initially it just started with me saying you've told me no so I'm going to prove you that it's a yes what was the moment that you fell in love with art what what was that um, I think the, my first internship was at BBC on the Kurtra show um, and it was with Andrew Graham Dixon and you know when you come from a small place you first of all don't even know those people have these jobs and they yeah. paid for it so to give you a funny anecdote I was paying for my internship with Costa Coffee as a waitress yeah. and everyone wore a suit I thought that was so important so I used to be like oh my god you must have a very serious job because it was all very new when yeah. you're not from the city and then I was on BBC uh, doing that internship and those guys were you know, basically paid to talk about people who were inspiring people visually. And I was like, that is mind blowing as a job, if you think about it. And I think what I liked about art was that my brain was challenged, but my eyes were so excited as well. And somehow, because I'm a very dynamic person, I, my whole body was contained into something where I could put my whole energy into. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always something that I love with creative is that your whole senses are engaged with it, but your brain is still asking tons of questions. And I think that art has got me because of that. Yeah. So the back to you being told no and you, I mean, that's why we want you as a guest because the show is called Creative Rebels and that's what we're all about is sort of people doing what they're told not to do. Yeah. Um, So I think that's brilliant. And when it comes to, so MTR agency is is the first of its kind. There's not anything that's existed like that before. So did you, so tell us a little bit about the company and when setting up was there any resistance towards your model and was that something that because you're rebellious that kind of helped it grow 
my relationship with Noah has always been ongoing. Um, <laughs> that I, should be the title of your first book. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, just say no. <laughs> no. Yeah. What is no after yeah. all? Um, but I, so I was lucky to be a young Gary manager when I was age 21, um, just after all my internships. I think I was, as you can see, I love speaking and I'm very dynamic again. So I was spotted very early for having that skill. And that's also a skill that you have in sales and developing projects as well. Um, so I, my first show was Connor Hankton, was an amazing street artist. And I had loads of the guys in the street art world with Lazaridis, it's an amazing school. And then I got approached by an investor two years later to send me to LA, Los Angeles, to open my own art gallery. So I named it after my island. So it was a Dura Gallery in Beverly Hills. I don't think they had any clue. So let's, let's slow down because we're covering a lot of ground here. <laughs> so you're at Outsiders Gallery. You're seeing yep. amazing street art, which is kind of opening you up to seeing art in the public, seeing art where you wouldn't traditionally exactly. see it. Yeah. Um, which I think has obviously formed a lot of, cool. informed a lot of, yeah. of what you're doing And Rebels now. as well. I think to go back to your podcast, those are the no people again. They're the people that don't take it. You know, they don't come from a very refined art world most of the time. And they care as much as being successful in the art space and inspiring kids on the ground and changing the conversation politically as well. They're very bold in their statements. Uh, so it was a very good bold school, I think. And that was good because it kind of showed again that you had loads of possibilities and how art could be done. Um, so then two years later, um, I therefore leave and start my own company with this investor in Los Angeles. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> so after Outsiders, how, talk about the opportunity coming forward for you to actually open your own gallery. So someone just approached you and Walked saw... Walked into the gallery, literally. Wow. And um, I know it sounds like a movie, but it's the reality. <laughs> Sometimes reality is a, mo- a lot more mind-blowing than the movies you can watch. Um, but luckily, basically, he had been to a gallery just before mine, where he had someone at a gallery desk that barely addressed him and barely talked to him. And then he came to the gallery where I was, and obviously I was very tall talkative and then I was talking about the art with loads of energy so he was like that's really different from a lot of the stuff I've gone through today so he was he started the conversation and and a few months down the line he was like look I want to make you an offer I will pay for your own gallery and you will pay off with the sweat equity so you basically become a partner 50-50 in your own gallery it was age 23 so that was a pretty yeah, mind-blowing kind of thing to think that I could even be my own boss, which I never even mm. conceptualized at the time. Um, I think an important thing to note there, though, is is that I, I once read something, I can't remember who it was by, so I'm sure someone listening to this will be shouting at, at, their, at their listening device, but there was someone who was talking about how every job that he does, he does with complete passion, even though he, even though if he hates the job, because when you're passionate about what you do, then you encourage other people and you open other opportunities to yourself. So this guy, the example he gave, oh, it's a book. I think it's on our Audible. It's, um, mm. I think it's Millionaire Mindset. And I can't remember who the author of that is. But he talks about how he's he's cleaning and he hates the cleaning job, but he cleans in places where he knows you don't, they don't even check. And so one so, day his boss does check and, and sort of talks to him and says, oh, well, you must really love cleaning. And he's like, no, I just, I just really want to do a good job. And from that, he gets yeah. a promotion. And it's just we don't have enough enthusiasm about what we're doing. And I think even if you're not passionate about it, I mean, obviously you were, so that's cool. But even if you're not passionate about it, it can open so many opportunities. So if you'd met that guy and been like, hey, there's some paintings over there. And that's because that's typically how most people people love seeing extra mile people. And I think especially, I think the guys will give you the biggest opportunities are self-made people because they have been that kid trying to have that opportunity. So they, they want to see someone that's enthusiastic and work hard and get there so I think of course that seduces them more than anything because now you know when I look at my younger team members if they show me that little bit of hard work and the fact that they're keen is obviously everything you can do to seduce me because that's what I want to see I want to see that energy I think the other thing is again being back to having had a lot of no's every time someone gives me a yes it's very difficult to say no I actually can't say no as a person as much as I couldn't accept the no in the first place because I'm just like, wow. You always remember that you never had opportunities. So if you come from a place where opportunities didn't exist, which is a very cool idea of refusing an opportunity is so difficult. And I partially have to do it now because we're so busy. So sometimes we have to decline projects and my whole body goes through that kind of difficult feeling of being like, I must say no. And 
it's difficult because I think you, you know, when you told me this, look, I never ran a business. I'm not a very good person with numbers. I also never did something of that scale. There was a lot of experience that was lacking. Equally, me saying no to that just felt mad. So I think it goes back to just, you just recognize an opportunity when you had very few and you just somehow think I have to say yes. And it may be something very scary to dive into, but I can't say no, this will be the madness of it all. So I think that's kind of the the attitude that we'll have with most things. Um, And that's why I'm currently completely out of my depth with pretty much everything I do, but (laughs) makes it definitely interesting. Um, So that's kind of how I landed in, in Los Angeles, really, with an enormous gallery on Beverly Hills and my first opening was with a lot of celebrities from the Hollywood scene. And I guess LA, I have a funny relationship to it because I think on the one hand, I was like, wow, this is an amazing place in terms of the people that have made themselves in that space and the marketing and the promotion and the talent industries that I was to see. But I think that's what shaped MTR. I was like, um, there's a, I'm very disappointed with a lot of the celebrities. I would like them to be visual models. I want them to inspire me because I'm still a kid and I want them to tell me, you know, I've done all this amazing thing and I want to change things positively and I want to inspire the world that way. And the truth is that they don't encounter a lot of that. And then I remembered a lot of my love for artists and I was like, a gallery is a lovely shop, you know, a two third of them are currently struggling economically and it gives a nice visibility every now and then for an exhibition. But I'm witnessing Hollywood machines that are basically building up talents to have an enormous voice across all mediums, um, brands, campaign, digital, public spaces, everything. So, so currently the gallery model, there's, there's not many galleries. Two thirds of them are not making money, but that's a that's crazy, crazy thing. Well, it also shows that like, it is an industry where not making money is okay because you can afford not to make money, you know? And I think that poses another question is we're an industry where talent, whether it's art professionals or artists, is determined by who can afford it. And that is an even bigger question on the ethics of talent diversity. But I think that was, um, that kind of got me exposed to, okay, music, sport and film really built up their stars. They make them worldwide famous and they give them an enormous voice for them to inspire people. What if I could do the same for people that actually talk about sustainability, cultural integration, like great messages through art, who are generally believe that if they have that voice, they will use it to something amazing. And that's kind of the obsession that I always kind of talk about. And that was the second TED talk on Kim Kardashian versus our industry is what if the 124 million followers of Kim actually went to an artist that talk about climate change? I mean, if you think about this right now, like the influence of that content would be enormous. So that's the best of uh, my company. And it's the best of the passion that I have through the agency to give them a voice, I think, and to make sure that they have an enormous voice. I mean, one thing that you mentioned in that talk was you talked about the the photo that you posted on your own account. Yeah. It was you in a bikini. Yeah. And my man the- was not very happy. And- <laughs> <laughs> Disappointment again. <laughs> but the the interaction that you got on that was it was seventy six percent higher well, than yeah. any other photo that you'd posted. Yeah, which like so the, obviously the talk basically I started my company saying look guys talking to the art industry Le Louvre has 1 million followers Kim has 120 million followers what are we doing we are spending degrees masters PhDs studying visual content trying to produce a valuable visual content and we are not trying to make it mainstream and it has to stop ASAP because our elitist attitude is resulting in her having an enormous voice Mm. and promoting a content that basically affects our kids and that what we're dealing with. Um, if you compare your young girl kind of, you know, looks at social media and then she goes on the streets and looks at adverts and the TV show and that's her day, you know, her visiting a museum every now and then is not going to replace all the content she's digested. Yeah. So we need to really, as cultural people that cares about content, position more in the mainstream. Um, so I started my company saying that and I said, that's why I want to raise the voices of artists and that led to, to rest because that was it. I got on busy with the company And then Ted was like, could you do a talk about that? And I was like, damn it, like, I know the numbers, but I don't have any research. Like, you know, I know art makes me happy as a person. Can I say you should prescribe more visuals like this than Kim Kardashian? Yeah, because I always say there's that, the famous 
saying of you are the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with. Exactly. But what I've been saying recently is that you are the content that you consume exactly. just as much because you get what you focus on and yeah. and your your Instagram feed, you can curate it. Yeah. You're, you're God when it comes to your phone. Completely. And you can absolutely take control of what you see every day. Completely. And what you see affects you. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because content is always thought through words. But actually, as kids, you know, we learn to read much later than we look at things and yeah. visuals are so powerful so it's strange that we don't think directly of visuals when we think of content so when Ted said that I was like okay I've got to kind of get on with some actual research because if I don't there will be a huge backlash uh, when I speak on stage um, and that's when NHS started publicizing all their studies about Instagram being the worst social media but also the content that was going on that and actually as we started more and more researching we saw that it's not Kim Kardashian the issue but it is narcissistic egocentric um, sexualized based content and overtly pushing you to consume that is the issue and basically ultimately it's about a content being very superficial versus a content that nourishes you and I'm sure same with food where we are like you know a Haribo doesn't really nourish you so you eat 10 or 20 to feel better whereas food that's healthy just makes you feel great you don't need to eat it all the time and mm. it's the same with anything like a good book you can let it rest and it kind of you in you know that content makes you feel better something that's superficial like a magazine you flicker it through and then especially women magazine first in this country but it's like you know you don't feel satisfied so that's when I thought okay well maybe the thing is to talk about visual diets where you know you don't consume five hours of junk food a day but you are currently consuming visual junk food all the time and can we create awareness around that? I did the TED and then basically since is my nest because we just launched that project with MNC Sachi and Ranking. It was on the cover of Sunday Times on last Sunday. The press is going haywire and now we have to basically think of the future of that visual diet. You know, um, again, can it become like a fair trade label? Can it become a rule of principles that we endorse you if, you know, you inspire people visually? Yeah. But also I think it's changing the face of talent for me. I want want a brand to start taking responsibilities and I want people who commission talents to start taking responsibilities. Your top influencers are like your Justin Bieber, Kim Kardashian, all those guys, they're not role models. And I want brands to be like, yes, I want the talented part, but I also want the moral part because we're giving them enormous platforms that after that young kids will listen to them on everything that they do. And I think that's what I'm interested on the talent agency side is that now I have a bigger voice to say, here is the guidelines to pick a talent and that's not only incredibly inspiring as a person talent-wise, but also morally has a lot to give in terms of the storytelling that I push forward. And I think we forgot that somewhere and we lost track that this was our role. And I know now, like we have 200 artists who approach us a month. Um, you know, there is a lot of talent out there. It is our responsibility to think, who am I giving that voice to and who am I making successful, basically? How do you curate that talent for MT Art? So we look at, the selection committee looks at the technique side of the art and how innovative that technique is, um, but we also look at the content on purpose. So we only have social messages. Our artists will talk about sustainability, cultural integration, gender issue, feminine empowerment, but it has to say something that is positive and will help you. It mm -hmm. can't be superficial in that sense. And that is what I learned from LA because I think when I was in Hollywood, I was like, this is very scary. And that was pre-Trump, Brexit, all these things yeah. where I thought, whoa, those people have the bigger voices do we want those people to have the bigger voices? And also now that I understand the machines that's being put behind them to build them to have the bigger voices is we need to take earlier steps in making sure that this doesn't happen again because people listen to them and when they have that voice, it's very difficult to remove it. Do you think someone like the Louvre doesn't feel the responsibility to build an audience and to further spread? Perhaps they just feel like people come and see us and they always have done and they always will do and they're kind of a bit closed as to the world that we're moving into is that perhaps why they've not got so many followers I think well it's a more political like answer I think realistically it was cool to be elitist until recently into the art industry yeah. so the more exclusive you were 
and the more highbrow you were about how you spoke, the apparently more intelligent you were as well, perceived-wise. I disagree with that. It's that whole thing of, I guess BBC was also my first school in that matter, but you can, you don't have to dumb things down. But when I talk about those things on my Instagram, there's always someone that says, does that mean that you are dumbing things down? And I'm always like, no, actually you can say incredibly clever things in a very simple way and you don't have to remove that content. Um, The industry is still very convinced of that. And I was at an arts history conference recently and they again said that they didn't want to engage everyone. Maybe an artist that was very popular was not a very highbrow artist. And this is sadly still a fear that some of the artists have. Some of my artists are worried that they'll be poorly perceived. And I think this is madness. If you're inspiring tons of people, of course this is a positive thing. I yeah. just can't ever see how this is a negative thing. But um, but it's still very anchored. Now, Louvre is a good student because since I mentioned that number, and I don't think they listen to me particularly, but I think <laughs> they asked Jay-Z and Beyonce to do a, um, a video there for their new music clip. And actually they went from 1 million to 2 million. So they're obviously very good students yeah. on those cool parts of social media. I think for me, like we have 300 years of art history, if we take the example of Le Louvre, with amazing visual content, it's all there. And also it's, you know, the other thing that bothers me about, there's loads of things that bothers me about a museum, especially like Le Louvre, is that, you know, Again, if you don't include people in your art history, this is still history. Um, people need to kind of really understand that your kids like learn history through going to museums through school. You know, you still you still ask to go to a museum, and those people are still crafting your history without you in it. So you should worry asap of what that history is, because currently museums are not really talking about women history or you know different races history type. It's very a type of history, and it's very yeah. the privileged type of history too. So it's also for us to think, hold on, someone is writing my history, my art history without me included. I should be pretty interested um, because, again, this will be what people remember of us in a hundred years' time. So That's it's such an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. This madness that, you know, the kids will go to those museums at like five to eight years old and be like, here's your 19th century. No, this is your 19th century of a very small category of people yeah. in that century. We, we found that when we went to Florence last year going through the one of the museums there and I was like this is kind of weird but you don't see anything of like lower classes anywhere yeah, of it's course. all religious paintings or royalty that's all you see in these yeah. massive places yeah. and I hope again that makes artists and because people always think like what's the point of artists in society I think one is showing that they are triggering really valuable meaningful conversation and making them feel better daily but the other thing is that they are representing them you know you are you need to start supporting guys that are almost representing you in that sense you can't just leave that to a part of the population because it's like leaving your vote out to a few but again just go out there and support artists early that you want to represent you later because someone will represent you anyway so you might as well have um yeah right of speech in in that making so yeah how important is art for kids and are you aware of sort of how much art is being cut out of the curriculum yeah well it's incredibly important in my head and it's not just artists visual teaching um so again my mum being a primary teacher i did loads of loads of tests on her kids at school although i don't think this is legal and could be really that broadcasted to the parents and <laughs> but my mum really likes me dearly so i think she's very patient with me and one thing that we do is we look at a picture with the kids and we say look where your eyes go and where do they travel? Where is the where is the artist making you want to look at that image? Yeah. And then tell me what action, therefore, you think that image is trying to make you do. That is, in my head, visual critical thinking, which I don't think exists, but it's something that I've created recently with her kids. The idea is to have a very dynamic relationship with the content you consume. Um, you need to be aware that the advert is triggering you to do something. After that, if you want to do it, do it. But this is like where visual education is like super key. A political message visually is triggering you to do something. You may want to do that action, but are you actually aware that you're about to do it without knowing that this is what the visual has made you do? I really like that because I remember when we used to go on school trips to a gallery and we'd just sort of be left alone to walk around for a couple of hours. And our takeaway from the end of it was like, that was boring. I mean, yeah. We used to see the gallery as boring because no one told us no one taught us how to engage with the artwork. It's it super dynamic. I mean, everyone who cares about, I mean, art, like I, my eyes just 
look around every part of their works you know like it's a very dynamic relationship but also it's the same you know National Gallery I always say like you have the big frames and then those people are depicted very tall and very big because they're trying to tell you they're important there's tons of codes you know and it's just you again decoding what are the codes after that like you know you can take your action if you want to take it but currently you're making actions without knowing that this is what's being triggered you may you know look at Kim Kardashian that has extra filtered her skin and think oh my god I have skin issues we don't even think about that mm. and then just apply more foundation as a young girl or just edit or extra filter your pictures to, you don't even know this is the effects it has you know what's the difference between that and Queen Anne getting a portrait commissioned and telling the artist to nip in her cheekbones yeah, well, I mean, I think everyone is pressured. So this is like, this is why it's important as a movement. Look, I am that too. I like look at a picture and I'm like, oh, I'm not great on it. You know, I don't know about my profile. But we have to just, again, take responsibility. And it's making kids feel horrible. The suicide rates is getting higher and the depressions rates are getting higher specifically for that issue. So, of and you course, said in your talk that um, it's since 2010. Yeah, and it's the so of Instagram it's so as well. clear, yeah. isn't it, that yeah. if that's the year yeah, yeah and it. it's you know and it's every day at the minute like one of my girlfriend was very upset to this morning because someone had contacted her saying you know she was very inspired by what she was doing she has a foundation that helped loads of kids in Congo and she committed suicide again and it's constant for girls you know and I think even more than boys right now and so I think yeah sometimes I don't like my wrinkles and I feel a bit fat in that picture that is a tiny issue in comparison of making a young girl feel horrible so I think we just have to be like it's okay I will cope with my wrinkles if that makes another young girl just striving through that age because it's a very difficult age to grow through we're now a bit older so we can cope with all that information I think when you're a teenager and you're early 20s you're building your foundation and it's very tough to have that kind of foundation so I'm afraid like queen or not queen and all of us even when we don't feel great on that picture we just have to start like you know showing the wrinkles accepting who we actually are yeah and it's tough I agree I mean, look, I, Adam pictured me yesterday and yeah. there's a few wrinkles and I accepted it. <laughs> yeah, I think um, with photos, when it comes to editing and stuff, don't remove anything that's not going to be there in two weeks. Like, don't take wrinkles away because the wrinkles are going to be there forever. Yeah. Like, that's part of that person's character. That's what makes them them. I agree. But, you know, I think equally, um, I agree. And I think it's also, but it is why we need a movement because we need people to be supportive yeah. of this you know if people only comment on your picture and that was a bit the take on my bikini picture if they only comment on your picture when they edit it or a certain way then they will encourage you like that's what I was trying to say yeah. with the bikini picture imagine if I'm 16 and I get more likes on that kind of picture what am I going to do I'm obviously going to post more pictures like this yeah. and especially as a young woman I just think you should praise people when they have achieved something like not on this kind of basis so we need to as a community even though we're tempted to encourage certain things to think is that really what we want to encourage if the young girl is talking about her exam achievement I think I'm afraid that should be the priority you know yeah. and it's all of us basically it's our likes it's our follow it's not like we had someone else controlling that like button we are specifically clicking we have given an influence to Kim Kardashian the 124 million people they are people I'm sure there's a few facts in that but they are definitely people yeah. in that and the likes we give to those pictures are human you know so we need to just think what am I liking you know what, how, what is the impact that that person is going to feel when I'm liking that picture you're definitely not alone and there's definitely a movement of strong women that are stepping forward and talking about this. I think Jamelia Jamil, yeah. um, certainly at the moment, and Slumflower yeah. are two people with huge influences, huge audiences that are saying, embrace your body and live into yourself, like grow into yourself, um, which I think is a really, really important message. How can artists add to that conversation? Well, I think... The reason I love art is because it is really, first, it's taking you to a different place. It's usually showing you different like perspective. So there's diversity to that. Also, there's less judgment into the artist. Usually, like they're telling you a personal narrative. It's usually with loads of intensity and sincerity and it's providing you with a different perspective of the world. So it's less egocentric on a type, which is, I really like. So I think it's, that escape is quite key because it's where your mind can wander and you can be more creative. Um, 
um, also artists per se usually have more sensibilities. So, you know, as recently directed on, on a shoot uh, for a fashion label and there's not much liberty that happens in a lot of the shoots, but artists are meant to be in the studio and say what they want to say and how they want to say it. So they, the artistic freedom is meant to be more sincere and more authentic. So again, we need that authenticity. It's all about empathy and authenticity. So the more authentic messages we come across, normally the better we should feel because there's someone basically being okay with that complexity. And I think that's very different to a lot of the fashion space still. So 2015, you start yeah, MT, sorry. MTR <laughs> agency. No, it's great. It's great. Um, you've obviously come from the gallery space. And yeah. so I guess you saw a gap in the market of it doesn't have to be this way. It's yeah. been this way, creating artwork for the elite. And it's clearly it's failing because a lot of the galleries aren't selling any work. Yeah. And it's this hand-picked certain artists that if they know the right people... Because, I mean, certainly when we started our business, if we could have sold our, our painted onto canvas and sold it in galleries, that seemed like a step for us in the beginning. Yeah. And then we quickly realised we don't know enough people. We've, we'd have to break into that world. It's easier for us to take our own path and go that way. So... But you saw that and sort of rather than seeing it as a boundary as we did, as like, okay, galleries aren't for us. I mean, I think I didn't think it's that clear when you start. I think, frankly, I had a lot of anger at that point. Um, and I was at a breaking point with my industry where I was very disillusioned and I was very angry. Um, I'm not angry anymore, but I think I was generally angry uh, when I started MTArt. A lot of the dreams of why I loved art and artists had been slowly kind of taken away from me. And I think I was at the breaking point where either I was going to act on it, either I was going to challenge whether or not I should keep working in that space in that way. I definitely didn't like the elitist attitude, um, the snobism that I was seeing. And even a lot of like according intellectual people, I saw that actually were very non-questioning of what they were putting forward. So I was in a very decision space. I was not in a very happy place. So the good thing is when you are at rock bottom with nothing to lose, you usually come up with a pretty good idea. So I had nothing to lose. I put on some train. Why were you at rock bottom at that point? I think because I was... I was very sad, I think, with what I had witnessed through my industry in a very short time. And I think the structures and, and I guess the elitism of it, and I think also what artists were really up to and, and the kind of artists I could succeed through that model, it felt yeah. felt just very heartbreaking because it wasn't the way I had kind of like seen it when I was younger. And I always say that I think my five years old kid would have been so disappointed in myself from 21 to 25. I think it, my five years old kid would have looked being like, what are you doing? Um, and I had all this kind of Hollywood hairdos and all these things. And my five years old kid would have been like, this is so ridiculous. And then, <laughs> so you just kind of got swept into that LA lifestyle. Yeah. And I think I was, you know, I was told you have to behave upper class to do all these things. And I think I potentially even put a very fake posh accent at some point that was irritating to everyone involved. And I think, <laughs> you know, I tried to play the system because the system told me do this. And I ran out of steam of that system because it was not true. It was not something I believed in the core. You know, it's an interesting thing because suddenly I was like, I just don't think I'm going to fit in. And I don't think it's, it's going to happen that the system will really accept me for what I want mm -hmm. and what I believe in. But I think for the first time in my life, I was like, I think I'm okay with that. I think I'm just going to have, I'm going to have to redesign a model that suits my system of values. And those values will never be compromised. And I'm going to build a model as the values as a core, basically. And MTL was that. And I think that's the reason, like, I think that's the reason I'm so happy without being too cliche. Like I've kind of gone back to my values as a kid and I'm having so much fun for that because I am generating new economic streams of revenues and growing a business on, on a capitalistic basis like as, as a gross model but equally I have all my social values with that and none of them were lost and I think that was the base of empty art I was at the minute at the time I was like how are you going to do that your social value feels quite socialist and then you, the way this, this needs to be executed needs to be quite capitalistically heavy I think that's the perfect way to actually make a change though I I think the model of a charity is essentially you have to 
beg for money to support your and then all of a sudden there's eyes on you if you make any sort of a profit then you're judged for it whereas if you say i'm a money-making venture then you can then operate without judgment of making as much money as possible and then with that money you can then implement your social changes that you want to make yeah well i well i discovered that later that we had become that social enterprise where we had the best of both worlds because we have an incredible independence out of being economically free um so we can basically do whatever we want to do in terms of projects as well but yeah it felt right because I was dynamic as a person but I had those principles and they had to somehow merge um, so yeah I find the company put on some trainers my first pictures were uh, makeup free me looking straight at the camera and it was bold I think in itself where but I think I was trying to prove that to myself I think for the first time I was mm-hmm. like let's look at the mirror And let's look at the past failures and the past mistakes and everything you've learned and let's build onwards. And onwards became my word at the, at the time. It was always like, okay. And it was tough. Like looking at the mirror is tough because you have to look at every detail of it. But MTR was that. And I think it was a complete liberation because I was able to walk into rooms on trainers without makeup, saying exactly what I want to say with very strong opinions and staying true to myself. And that became an incredible strength. When I launched a company, I made such strong opinions about the political social space of my field. People were like, you are insane. No one is going to buy from you. No one's going to want to partner with you. Like it's completely outspoken. It's actually our strengths now. I think the first year was tough for that matter. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about resistance earlier, for sure. I had digital bullying. I had an article by a weirdo that said I was sociopath. Um, that was delightful. Um, <laughs> no and I still received emails you know I still receive emails saying that I'm pathetic and loads of things that are very hurtful um, that obviously every time anonymous uh, so you can never track people down um, but loads of bullying um, what was triggered that what is it that's upsetting them so much I think because I think I you know I think I'm doing something that most people wanted to do Um, I'm always it's the strangest thing I walk into rooms where people are like oh yeah we had your idea five years ago and I'm always like well just do it (laughs) it's like just run the ideas there's millions of ideas it's action that that proves and I feel that's the thing is I felt that no one felt they could do it And I think the fact that a young girl, not backed up by any parents behind her, broke basically um, with very little support, I said, I'm going to do it, has pissed off people, I think. And the fact that we're, we're fast growing and we haven't compromised And, you know, I kept my French nature. If I felt someone was not very nice to us equally, I would not bend too much about it. You know, there was a respect to where we were going. Um, I think it's annoyed people. I haven't burdened front of aristocrats. I've told them that I disagree with the fact that they should control most of the museum art history. I, all of that irritated because we, especially in England, you need to burn for a certain structures and rules and principles. And at that point, frankly, I just felt, fuck it, I'm not going to bow. And... I said to my mum at the time, if it fails, it fails, but we're going to do it. I'm going to do it on my terms. And and then we're going to go and see how far we can go. And it was, you know, I think it was the funniest thing to observe because people were just like, whoa. And I think visual diet and all those things are very strong statements. You know, we are criticizing highly a lot of big institutions and Instagram or Kim Kardashian. But that was it. And luckily now it's trendy to be bold. But when I started, it was not trendy to be bold. <laughs> and I was told that I was too bold. But I think once you let the door open and, you know, I think once you get bullied as well, you're like, you know what, you've just given me an extra reason to why I'm not going to give up because first I hate bullies and especially anonymous bully because I think it's fake hard. And the second thing is if you bully me, that means there's really, we onto something here that is very wrong in the yeah. industry. And the thing is that got my curiosity activated and I was like, I'm going to find out what really bosses you. And that's where I discovered that 90% of the top art professionals were from privileged background. That's where lots of your artists can't create in cities like London lots of them are there for living Uh, all the statements are being put around that industry and why the galleries are not doing well and I was like well this is too late now because the more you you push me the more I'm discovering facts that are too big to let go and the more it's just too late now I'm going to have to talk about it I mean we talked about 
that aren't being pushed out of schools it's not being pushed out of private schools and it's exactly. you can still take art at Eton and places like that exactly and it's it, that is in itself scandalous and I think you know it was I think I fell out of the love for social classes at that point you know when you start uh, for, at 19 moving to London you're sold the Hugh Grant romantic idea of a very <laughs> lovely gentleman and I think as you dig in you scratch the surface you're like why are people having more rights than noses? How is that even kind of plausible in our day and age? And that is basically what we are saying in the art space. We're saying certain people have more rights than others. I see the visual language as an expression and I think that's just wrong in itself. So yeah, it, it was, I think the whole system fell apart for me. I think I, I just started looking at it for what it was. And I think romance had been removed from me. And I think I had seen it for the facts. And people are waking up. I think Brexit was actually a wake-up call for the cultural industry to realize that they didn't have that influence on people content-wise. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it being exclusive is cool anymore. I think being inclusive is a lot cooler. But yeah, there's loads of resistance. And I think it pisses off people that, he, that we can say what we want to say. But that's, again, go back to economical freedom. There's no one here that controls us. If we want to say something, we can. And I'm so excited about that because if you just rely on two art collectors that are very wealthy and you don't have diversity revenue, you are stuck. But I'm in a position where I'm not stuck, basically. So I can still say what I want to say if I want to. And same with my artists. What does day one look like for you? You're broke in LA and you have this idea, do you build a, do you write a business plan? How, how did you start? No business plan where I should potentially have done one. I basically just went on social media in a non-state because I thought that was the best way for me to actually do it. Um, yeah, just start. Because if you just start, you have to do it. Um, I had no real plan and I went on my bicycle because I returned at that point to London and convinced people one by one saying that was the idea. I mean, if you think back then, I'm sure it was the same with you guys when you put your company, you're like, this is mad when I'm telling people, you know, like I'm on the bicycle broke and I'm promising dreams yeah. but again you're saying to, you're saying those dreams so you have to somehow try to execute them and then I just went out there and convinced people and I think I'm lucky that it has worked out I think it was incredibly naive but it was I, my mum was very worried because I used to call her being like it's either that either it won't be that and it felt like life and death kind of situation <laughs> but it was really radical I was like it has to work out or it won't work out but this is no plan B so we're going in and I think she worried sick for the first year and a half because she was witnessing the bullying she was looking at the article with more bullyings uh, she was witnessing me on the sofa and trying to do it and I think she was like this is going to be really tough and what's really nice is that there's a time where you've convinced enough people that you have a community of people that supports you you see your artists doing better and better and now I'm in a place where I'm very well supported but I think it was stressful for anyone who cared about me in that first year How did you deal with, with that? With the, with the bullying and being told, basically being told to quit. Um, but at that stage, you don't have an audience that you know you're doing the right thing. So the only person that knows they're doing the right thing is you. I mean, you doubt all the time. Yeah, I mean, I think my confidence was really low. Um, and I think it's because you broke as well, like you can't afford most things. So you're also going through like loads of insecurities about your financial stability as well. And um, how did you pay the bills? Just so, working part time. Yeah, so like I, yeah, I tried to sell stuff quickly that pushed me on the sales of the works as well. But yeah, there's loads of times where like sometimes invited clients in year one and my credit cards didn't go through at the restaurant. So like, you know, you are at that point where like it's very stressful. But it's okay. I think it builds up the character. I don't know how you deal with it. I think I was very determined. Uh, my confidence was very low. I was very insecure, partially paranoid as well, because you become more paranoid in that situation. But equally, I kept going, and I'm so glad I did, um, because now, obviously, I'm incredibly happy that we did. But no, it's not easy. I didn't even celebrate Christmas. I refused to celebrate Christmas. I was radical in that first year. <laughs> I was like, I said to my mom, I'm not in a happy place. Everything is tough. I don't want to celebrate. Um, so I stayed and didn't celebrate. So it was not a happy year. But the thing is, is I'm so grateful for that year because it is the foundation of everything we're doing now. So equally, I'm so glad that I went radical about it because if I didn't, um, then I will have an okay business model and now we have something that makes me so proud on all the foundations part 
But yeah, it was not nice. It was not pleasurable. And yeah, we love looking back because those times were some of the most like fun yeah. times, even though when you're in the middle of them, they're awful. Awful. But looking back on them, you're just like, oh, remember when we got a train to the middle of nowhere <laughs> and just all of these adventures we've been on is just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah I remember visiting my family on a, on a car because I couldn't afford the Eurostar and I had to like pass you know when you have the ferry with the car and stuff and it was like 12 hours journey and it was all the stuff it was like so ridiculous and you're so exhausted and also you know the art world is all about looking luxurious and being very yeah. glamorous and you are literally feeling the exact opposite but yeah look amazingly character building and I feel like I can be in front of someone and look straight at them in the eyes now but I don't think I could a few years ago so I think it's a good character to have you mentioned that you just had to start convincing people. Yeah. How do you start convincing? I mean, I was always quite good at convincing because don't forget that my dad told me no on everything since I'm 10. So I had to basically look for, oh, what did I say to my mom? Because they, they divorced now. But um, I said, um, recently there was a, a project, oh, it was for Tate. Um, and someone told us, no, you can't do that. But when you're like a kid that is used to convince people, if someone tells you no, you just go to the next person next door <laughs> yeah. and say, please, can I have it? <laughs> so don't forget that I was that. Um, at 10, you know, like I was told by my dad that I was not worth much. I couldn't do most of the stuff I wanted to do. Um, he had put me playing rugby because he was a sport teacher and it obviously didn't result very well with myself at the time. <laughs> so I was used to go and beg granny, go and beg the cousin and just be resourceful if I wanted to achieve something. So I've kept that nature. I think no, again, it goes back to my relationship with no. I was shown very early on that people at the hierarchy of your authorities may not be justified to why they have this authority. And that is my weird relationship with my dad in that sense that um, he showed me very early on that he was wrong on many decisions he took authority-wise. So therefore I had very little, I think, respect for hierarchies unless you demonstrated where you had that position, my brain is not impressed with you being on a certain position of hierarchy. So that's, I think it's a very good thing long-term because I'm not impressed by people for being there or having the job title. I'm impressed by them as people because very early on I was demonstrated that authority may not be justified um so why would i listen to something that's not justified so i think that that is my convincing tool it's actually thanks to him because yeah if you tell me no this is crap there's actually a horrible sentence that was tell, told to me six months in um a very wealthy collector said you know the difference between you and i is that i don't need uh to get money in to survive or eat. So everything that will do always be more successful. And now I can tell you that this is the exact opposite. It's because I needed to eat and survive. It's the yeah. reason why we can be more successful. Mm -hmm. And I remember so struggling in that sentence being like, fine, he won't support us, but it really bothered me at the time. It was like, I've got to go and find those people who are different because I don't believe this is the right answer. And no surprise, a lot of our supporters actually self-made were incredibly successful. And a lot of those guys had to survive. So they've developed loads of tools on survival. But convincing is about survival. It is about, I need that. There's no plan B, need to get it. And as a kid, I was taught to like, you just got to find a solution if you want to get it. Yeah, there's those people with old money that look down on the people who are self-made millionaires, don't they? And they, it's because you weren't born it's into it. It's the opposite for me. And it's so crazy, isn't it? It's like you're making art for, for those people, the people that scratched and clawed and made something of themselves. Like, I love, I love that kind of Well, that sentence really resonated. So then it's tried to re-enter our company and we were like, no. Um, because, because it really made me think, this is interesting, you are so confident. I never had your confidence and I don't think I will ever have it. But I think that's the reason why we made go somewhere it's because I don't ever I don't ever feel ever feel settled like you do and I think I always have to extra work to get the opportunities that we get but I think that's what we get those opportunities is because we're never entitled about them we always think we have to work hard for our clients our partners our artists um, we think they will only deserve them if we for the quality of the work that we do so it's actually a really good thing long term what are you most proud of that MTA uh, MTR I think it's just saying my artist uh, blossoming, really. I think it's, you know, I think what we've given them, because we support their studio costs and access to production costs every month. So, so we give them money every month, plus the support our team give them and all the opportunities we provide, whether that's projects or sales as well. I think 
outside of the revenue that we generated and the fact that their career has grown and has been more successful, I've seen them becoming more confident, nicer people, more collaborative and blossom really. And I think asking deeper questions, better one and straighten, like the work gets more solid out of it. So I think that's one more part of it is I think we've made people happier. Well, at least that's what they tell me. And I think ultimately my journey has also become I'm a happier person I think it sounds so cliche but when I hear my artists speaking they're just happier more confident people in their own shoes and I think ultimately being successful is that is being happy with who you are and therefore convincing people thanks to that so I actually hold at, at the beginning, I thought I would be very proud of the idea I had. And now I'm very proud of the people that we built it with because that community is so dear to me. It feels like we've just gone through a war together, but it has been amazing to actually on the other side to see how much love and support and community building we've put that. So definitely them. I mean, every time they get more confident, I did like demo where my artist was from Ghana. She walks into a room now with so much confidence. When I first met her, it was not that. And I literally feel like a excited ma'am about it because I'm like, <laughs> she's, you know, I just watch her walking in and like having that confidence to ask for the stuff she wants. And I think ultimately that's actually our biggest success. It's not us, you know, saying, I'm given that confidence. It's more just seeing them becoming that kind of confident person that mm-hmm. can obtain what they want to obtain. So yeah, it's a nice feeling. Where can people find out more about you? On the website, www.mtr.agency. And then obviously on Instagram, which we're very big fans of. Uh, me personally, I have a personal account, Marine Tongi Art. Then all the artists have one too. And then the agency has one too. Uh, that will be a lot of the behind the scenes. Again, it's kind of showing you all the stuff that's happening and not just a pretty picture. Um, and I think you will see that we work very hard and we're very passionate. And I think same with the artists. Now you've got to get going. So thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for listening. We're trying to help a lot of people with this show, so we need your help to grow the community and spread our message. If you know someone who'd benefit from hearing what we talked about today, or they just need a little nudge in the right direction, pass this podcast on to them. If you want to hear more, then subscribe to us on iTunes. And if we helped you with anything, we'll really love you forever if you can leave us an iTunes review. It makes a huge difference. See ya. See ya.